You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. Take a scenario like something simple like waiting in line in a grocery store and take each character and write out how that character will respond in that situation. Would your character wait patiently and be nice to those around them? Or would your character start fist fights with everyone in line? So <laughs> it sounds very hilarious, but it really helps you to grasp the core of those each character who they are like how they respond what's their fight or flight mechanism how they interact with other characters hi everyone welcome to another episode of the power of why my name is naomi Haile, and today i'm here with natasha roy natasha how are you doing today i'm good thanks how are you naomi thank you for having me i'm really excited to be a guest on your show I'm pumped. Well, you're an avid listener of the show too. So this is really cool that you're here. (laughs) And you're also my best friend. So I'm excited to, you know, have you share your story, talk a little bit about what you're working on. For the audience though, Natasha Roy is a writer who is working towards becoming a published author. She's currently navigating the publishing field and writes mainly young adult fantasy. She spent 10 years working on her latest project. To give you a little more context on the publishing landscape, the publishing industry is quite massive. According to Business Wire, in the U.S., there are over 2,600 publishing houses generating over $25 billion in annual revenue, which is crazy. Uh, Natasha currently works as a policy advisor for the Canadian federal government, and she made her way into this field by studying criminology and law. And I remember when we were in high school, I don't even want to say how long ago that was. (laughs) I just remember you always writing. And funny enough, we met in English class too. Mm -hmm. And the main reason why I wanted you on the show was to have you share your story and your love for writing and the creative process and just getting clear on what it is that you want. But also being really raw and honest about how... It's not a glamorous profession by any means, and there's a lot of rejection and self-doubt and all of those things, so I'm really excited for you to, to talk more about that. Thank you, Naomi. That's, oh, you're making me smile. Like, that was just like, <laughs> the sweetest thing to say. It's, yeah, not to date ourselves. It's been quite a while since we first met, and you've been through this whole process. And yeah, just in terms of, just to begin, this is going to be about more the traditional publishing industry rather than self-publishing so I have kind of stayed true to wanting to be traditionally published with a big publisher Mm -hmm. so it's definitely been a huge journey Um, my current project has been a good decade now that I've been working on this like it's been enough it's been a decade it's been a lot of (laughs) struggle pain juggling two jobs juggling schooling trying to Mm -hmm. learn the craft so it's been a lot so I'm excited to start and share some of what I've learned and where I'm at now. I love that. Well, thanks for the little bit of context. I'd love to t- for you to share a little bit about your origin story too, how you even got into writing. It's such a crazy story, but like, please tell us about your origin story. I was actually born with a head injury that really impaired my ability to have fine motor skills as well as like pronunciation and my reading and writing was actually delayed a bit and my parents and some teachers worked very hard to help me to catch up to the rest of my peers so we had to work extra hard to get me to be able to read and write at the same level as everyone else and that from then on I was never told that I had this kind of um limitation I was made to view that no you just have to work we're going to work with you a bit more and in that time, I would spend recesses in. I would, when I would get home, my mom would read me. So I think from there, I just developed a really huge appreciation for reading and writing. I just fell in love with it. I loved books. 
And because I spent so much time with it, I was constantly drilled. And sometimes, as my mom will say, I would cry because it was just, it was a lot of work. And it was sometimes like, I can't do this. And I would get frustrated with the simplest mm -hmm. task, but neither my mom or my teachers gave up to me. So I'm really grateful for that. From there, I kind of just started falling in love with stories, falling in love with fantasy stories. I began to immerse myself in a world. And from then I started looking at it and saying, oh, I want to write these stories as well. Like, I wonder if I took this story, how would I write it? And it just kind of started from there. I started with small picture books in grade one, and then it quickly developed into writing little text. I didn't even know how to, form how to create a paragraph. So it was just <laughs> block text on a page. It wasn't very good, but I just found it fun and it kind of stemmed from there. That story is crazy to me because the very thing that you struggled the most with as a kid to like these stories, I think are <clears throat> not as, I don't want to say they're common, but they're not uncommon in that, you know, with certain things that happen, you know, at childbirth or, you know, in your development as a, as a, as a young kid, it's, it's crazy when you're, when you are blessed with parents who are like, no, 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 this is not going to be your fate. You're, you know, we are going to work tirelessly with you to make sure that you are set up for a good life. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, we don't get to choose our parents, but I think we're both blessed with great parents. Yeah, and very much so. Can you tell us a little bit about what your writing process looked like over the past 10 years. I know you've taken a couple breaks, so tell us a little bit about the behind the scenes, what was happening, where was your head at? So yeah, I came up with this series that I've been working on when I was 12, and it came to me from a dream, actually, and then I woke up and just made little notes about what I'd seen, and from there I kind of developed this story, and then I put that on back burner probably until I turned 15 and then I picked it up again so I started writing it I wrote about a good first draft and then I mean looking back now it needed some work I was a teenager so I was looking at the world through rose colored lenses so some of the interactions between characters wasn't real or life experience you realize that's not really how people would interact with one another I started uh, sending it out to agents actually I had half the book done so it wasn't even finished and right away I researched and I said okay I'm gonna start sending to agents I actually got some very kind replies. They said, I really see potential, but no, you need, you, you need to work on your craft. And as a 15 year old and having gone through quite a bit and just dealing with a lot of stress and self-esteem issues from high school, that really was discouraging. And that really hit my core because my whole life I had identified as a writer and it was, I knew it was the one thing I wanted to do. And getting that kind of rejection, you open that email very hopeful and you're like, oh, maybe this is it. And as a 15 year old, you feel everything so much, so much more intensely because nice. you're, you're still learning, you're still growing. And I remember just crying getting that and thinking, this is it. Like I'm not, <laughs> um, they, my, my idea is terrible. And I think that really hit a blow to my self-esteem. So I actually shelved that project and I refused to look at it. I was so upset with it. And so I started dabbling in a couple other writing projects. I sent those out as well to some agents. I got a little more traction. I got some manuscript requests. So this would have been about when I was 17 years old. It didn't end up working out. One, because again, I had sent it out without finishing the entire manuscript, which anyone listening right now do not do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that also didn't work out. And at the time I was in a creative writing class with you actually, and we were working on quite a bit of pieces of writing. 
And I remember just feeling so discouraged because I said, well, they don't want this project either. Like I must be a terrible writer. And at that time I had a couple of teachers who really believed in me and really were there for me. And they told me that they said, what you're going to realize as you grow older, that the writing craft is very lonely and it's very tough Mm -hmm. and it's not going to come easy and you're going to get rejected and you're going, you need to realize that and also realize that it doesn't mean you're any less of a writer. It's just, this is, you have to really want this. And in a way that was really great advice, but unfortunately maybe I didn't listen to it as much as I should have because I then felt I was almost at a turning point. I was graduating high school. I had been accepted into university into the English program at the university of Ottawa. And I was kind of at a crossroads where I was unsure of myself. I felt very discouraged as a writer. I felt that maybe I'm not meant to do this. Just very self-doubt, self, very negative thoughts about myself. So I shelved both of the projects. And then over the course of the summer, shelving the projects turn, quickly turned into not writing. So I, ref- yeah. I, I started to shut down. I just stopped writing. And anytime I picked up a piece of writing, I just felt extremely upset. I couldn't. I had anxiety writing. So as I went into university and I started the English program, I started to build almost this resentment towards the field itself. I couldn't stand it. I thought this is not what I want to do. What am I going to, where am I going to get a job? I just completely did a 360 and started to hate it. And I think in a way that was to protect myself because I had been rejected so much that I had become afraid of it. Yeah. I remember that whole period you and I remember asking questions like, hey, have you been writing? And you're, you would just avoid the question completely. But it's, it's really nice to see you coming into it again, you know, finish, finishing up the project, your, your, your first book, and then like starting to embed yourself in the industry again and meeting with agents and pitching and, and all of that great stuff. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about like how does one write a series? There's a lot of planning, right? And with all of the characters that you have, I'm wondering how you organize your time, how much of it is brainstorming, writing, editing, all that. So I think I learned, so I've rewritten this series probably 10 times now, if not more. And each time I rewrote it, I realized what wasn't working that I needed to do to get the series moving. So in the beginning, I kind of just went by the seat of my pants and I just wrote, which in hindsight, probably when you're world building and you're doing you have a lot of fantasy elements that doesn't always work because you need to account for things because people will read it and pick it out like why you're not consistent especially with I had a lot of continuity continuity errors in my my book the first draft that an editor quickly pointed out they said this doesn't make sense say this here but then later on the book the person can do this so a lot of it was first creating the world creating all the different aspects of that world and making sure by planning you were able to be consistent with certain elements in that book. So if you had abilities and you said that it, this ability can do X and Y, you have to make sure X and Y is reflected throughout the, the entire book, not that you suddenly throw in this, this wild card without any explanation because that'll confuse, that will confuse your reader. I took each character and based on, I wrote out their character sketch and what their personality traits were, how they would respond in a certain situation. The best advice I actually got, and I don't know if this helps any writers listening, 
take a scenario like something simple like waiting in line in a grocery store and take each character and write out how that character will respond in that situation. Would your character wait patiently and be nice to those around them? Or would your character start fist fights with everyone in line? So <laughs> it sounds very hilarious, but it really helps you to grasp the core of those each character, who they are like, how they respond, what's their fight or flight mechanism, how they interact with other characters. Because that's one thing that I struggled with a lot is having unique characters and weaving that into their dialogue. So you would be able to look at the page and be able to say, that's X character talking. I can tell that's this character talking. And with that in mind, you would also be able to see and be like, I don't think the character would say that. So your editors would get so familiar with this character, they would know where to pinpoint something that, does, that sounds flawed, that's something they wouldn't do. And it would also, this is also helpful to have complex characters. So they start out a certain way and then organically they evolve and they can respond to situations differently based on outside factors that have influenced them to react to things that way. That's actually something I explored heavily in this book is to long-term effects of trauma. Because mm -hmm. I feel a lot of books, they tend to have an event and then the character experiences that event and then they move on as if nothing happened nothing or they happened. Yeah, or they deal with or they deal with the trauma in a very linear motion. And mm -hmm. as many of us listening know, when you go through something traumatic, it's not linear. It's very much you may be okay one day, you may be very much not okay the next day. You may have a period of six months where you feel euphoric and then the next six months you may not be okay. So I definitely explored how nothing's linear, how emotions are not cut black and white, they're very much gray. Mm -hmm. So not That's to get powerful. too much into the weeds, but yeah. It's really powerful. In listening to what you just said and through many conversations, it really is technical, right? As much as we like to think, oh no, like I'm just coming up with these out-of-box ideas and it's fully creative and blah, blah, blah. It really is a technical process to make sure that every, like you're well-researched. When you're talking about things like trauma or other, like I know you've incorporated other things into your storytelling, and you've spent a lot of time researching that and so that it's rooted in like real life experience, right? So can you talk a little bit about the research component? Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend, take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. Definitely try to respect the constraints of write what you know, but also don't completely just write what you know. If you want to talk about someone, a character who's just went through a very bad fire and they now are suffering from burns, like do your research, figure out what happens to someone when they have second degree burns. What do they feel right away? What do they have that comes out? Um, what kind of feelings and physical impediments do they have later on? So definitely for me, I try to incorporate what it is that I do know. So I worked in firearms policy for a bit. So I definitely learned a lot about weaponry and firearms and just the mechanisms and how they worked and the logistics, as well as I have a background in criminology and I learned a lot about law enforcement. So I also incorporated that. So I, I did take what I know and incorporate it into the book, but I also research things that maybe I wasn't so familiar with. And I think mm -hmm. there's something to be said 
the writing becomes so much more raw and powerful because this is real stuff. And I think there's something to be said that research is great to sit behind a computer and research how would it, how would someone deal with this? But it's more you should get out there and really speak to people. Look at your friend group, look at your family. And I'm not saying to use them as guinea pigs, but to just really learn about these people and the, their stories and the things they've gone through. And I think you'll, in terms of your writing, you'll get much more emotional response. You'll be able to tell a much more emotional, passionate situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there are those nuances that can't be captured in a general article that's found online. I completely agree. I really love the way that you shared in terms of character descriptions. I don't know if you wanted to share a little bit about that, but having inspirations of like real life people, people that you may not even know when you are describing and articulating who a character is, what they look like when you're first introducing them to your reader. Yes. Each one of my characters is based off a real person in my life. So they've been heavily reflective of a real person. So based on that, I would take this person in my real life without giving names and having known them, I know how they would respond in certain situations. Mind you, of course, none of us are in a fantasy world. So a lot of it was... I wish. (laughs) (laughs) It was not a fantasy world, but you could still apply how your friend would react to certain situations based on what you know of them. Would they be the type to confront conflict head on? So I definitely used real people to create these characters. And sometimes I used a combination of two people in my life. So I just, it sounds interesting, but I would watch my friends. I would watch my family members. I would watch how they reacted to certain things. I just learned about them. And also being friends with someone for 10 years, for example, I mean, you you get to know them pretty well. So I took a lot of the real life people and I kind of just breathed life into my story. And I put all these people that I care and love about into my book. Mm, I would love for you to share a little bit about what's happening in the industry right now from a perspective of Gen Z specifically, what they want, what they're looking for, how vocal they are, and how that's really kind of realizing itself in, in the industry itself, in the publishing space. So definitely Gen Z, I think, is a really incredible generation. Um, I think that they're definitely trailblazers. So you, to think that this, so Gen Z, there's arguments as to what age group can be a part of it. I'm going to attribute them to up to 18 right now. Some people can argue there's a bigger range, smaller, but that's basically where I'm viewing it. So if you think this generation has grown up in such a different time, not only are they gone through a pandemic during some of their most formative years, they're exposed to heavy social media. So they're desensitized to a lot what's out there. They are also heavily involved in political movements. In the last year alone, we've had so many political upheavals. We've had so many movements that have just been earth shattering. And these teenagers are in the thick of it. And combined with social media apps like TikTok, Instagram, they see everything. Whereas our generation, we had some social media, but it was nothing like it is now. So a lot of Gen Z, they're not sheltered. They see everything. And in a way that has had some emotional tolls on them, but that's also made them much more real in terms of what they expect. They don't look at the world through rose colored glasses. And I know a lot of people when they criticize that generation, they'll try to say it, but this generation is very much aware of 
racism, aware of sexism. They're aware that these, that these things exist and that they need to be stopped. And we've seen that with cancel culture and other things where not to give Gen Z entire credit for this, but they've just been very incredible with how they respond to situations. They're very much more educated. They're aware of what's going on in the world. And so in turn, what we've seen it, and I'm speaking for myself and just based on some of what I've heard from the industry is we're starting to see that they want this in fantasy literature. They want this in literature in general. They want real world stuff. They want to talk about trauma. They want to talk about mental illness. And what's even more is they want books that reflect the world around them. And by that, they want diverse books. They want books that have people from all different types of backgrounds, people who have been through various experiences. They don't want the same cookie cutter characters. They very much want diversity. And that's some, that's a messaging that's, you've seen again and again, as we see some books get turned into TV shows, we see the castings overhauled and they're, they become completely diverse, whereas the book itself was not diverse. And mm -hmm. a lot of that is linked to the audience and the market right now. So we're seeing like a, there's a huge demand for that, which I think is absolutely wonderful. I think books definitely, especially in the fantasy genre, need to become much more diverse. Uh, to give a context, just how we see uh, characters living with disabilities, how they're portrayed in fantasy literature. I mean, not so long ago, they were portrayed as these monstrous creatures who, who had some kind of, who were viewed to have something wrong with them, that they were usually the butt of a joke. They were depicted to be heinous and just monstrous looking. And never would they be portrayed as the hero or the chosen one unless they had been quote unquote fixed. And we've seen this with so many, not to name series, but we've seen this so much. And I found with Gen Z, they're starting to demand more accurate representations. For example, um, with Shadow and Bone, it was really powerful when we saw one of the main characters have to carry a cane, but it wasn't something that was constantly spoken about. It was just something he simply lived with. And occasionally mm -hmm. we would see him struggle as he walked, but otherwise it was not part of his core identity. It was just something he lived with. So I, I definitely see with Gen Z, they're starting to demand more and more of that. And they're starting to demand less, they're also offensive representations of women in fantasy literature and just all sorts of characters coming from different backgrounds. Yeah, that's really, it's really interesting. And I'm excited to see how, the landscape will change. Love to talk a little bit about the self-doubt piece that you briefly brought up at the beginning. How oftentimes the 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 life of an author is, and I think a lot of other industries as well, like or professions. I I should say, you know, being a CEO or being an entrepreneur, it's like very glamorized, very heavily glamorized on social media in terms of what really happens when you're. When you're writing and putting together stories every day, you know, you wake up and you're like, I'm going to write 200 pages. What is it? What's, what's really happening? <laughs> um, well, definitely not 200 pages a day. I wish. There's some days I wake up and I just think my book is the most terrible thing in the world. And I have like images in my mind of having a huge fire and just throwing my computer into the fire. So I've spoken to some other writers and you very much hate your work. Sometimes um, the creative process is very draining. You run into writers fatigue. There's some days you just cannot, no matter what you write on the page, you think it's all terrible. You, you start to question why are you even doing this? You also mm -hmm. start to question, is this idea even good? I actually think this, this chapter is terrible or, Oh my goodness, I, nobody would ever read this. 
So there's definitely very much self-sabotaging, self-doubt. And it's a constant battle I find between loving your work and hating it. And I don't think I've met anyone who at the end, when they finish their, their novel, they love it. No, <laughs> I, I've spoken to some people who said that it's out in the market and it's selling really well and they still hate it. And they said, I still cringe when I see a certain chapter. I'm like, I can't, I can pinpoint all the flaws in it. Yet other people will think it's the most amazing chapter I ever wrote in my life. So for me personally, I definitely face that on a daily basis where I just, I rewrite. Sometimes there's a chapter that's, there's nothing wrong with it, but I just, I can't shake the feeling of how much I hate it. So I end up rewriting it. So it's definitely a constant battle of being satisfied with your work and not letting your self-sabotage beliefs inhibit your ability to produce something. Yeah. I mean, I go through that too. And it's, it's a lot of ups and downs, right? Tash, like some days you're like, this is the best shit ever. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, I'm unstoppable. I'm going to take over the world. And other days you're like, who am I even to do this thing? And I'm wondering how you navigate that. Definitely some days I get very down on myself and I just throw it to the side. I do try to take a step back and maybe go for a walk and just clear my head and realize why do I hate this part of the book right now? Is it because there's actually something wrong with it or is it because I'm scared? A lot of the time it's because I'm scared. The writing industry, it's very critical. It's very subjective. One person may love your book. Another agent may not love your book at all. You never really truly know if your work is good or not. And I think a lot of that come, you have to realize that you have to like it. At the end of the day, you just have to like it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean to completely think your work is this amazing polished piece of artwork. No, you can hate it. You can hate some parts of it, but you should love your story. You should love, you should be excited most of the time when you go sit down to write. And when you're feeling really down or you're feeling very upset and if you, what you turn to is writing or this story, then you know you're, you're doing this for the right reasons or you know that you do truly love this because if it's the one thing you seek to find happiness mm-hmm. when you're feeling really low, then that's a pretty good sign. That's really helpful. Thanks for sharing that, Tash. Um, the last question that I really love to ask folks is, well, actually I lied, two questions. Um, <laughs> And I mean, you kind of touched on this. Well, I feel like I understand what your, the, the thing maybe in your industry right now that you're really, really excited for. But if you were to share that more tangibly, what would that be? In terms of just excited, seeing where the writing, the young adult field is yeah, going? where that field is going. Any new trends that you're noticing that are like really on point? You're seeing a lot of cool books that 10 years ago would not have been published, as sad as that is. You're seeing a lot of books that are challenging the tropes of what's done in fantasy. You're seeing a lot of books that are thinking outside the box. You're seeing a lot of own voices. And to give uh, listeners overview of what that means, that's basically stories that are told from the perspective of a protagonist whose author also shares a common identifier with that protagonist. So for example, if you are you live with hearing loss and your character has hearing loss, that's an own voices story. So you're definitely seeing a lot more of those. And I find that makes the writing so much more real because you know, this author's lived with, for example, you know, the author's lived with, lived in a wheelchair. So when they're writing about a character who's lives in a wheelchair, they know what they're talking about. And I mean, uh, you kind of started with this in your origin story just around how you got to this point 
right? And why you turned to writing. I'm curious to know, you know, in 10 years from now, when you're looking back, if you were to describe your why, well, like what's the, what's the purpose behind creating these stories, documenting your work, going through this? Because it's hard, Tash. It's hard. I see what you're doing. It's not easy. And I'm just reminded about if you're going through anything that has all of these barriers and things that you need to jump through, you got to really love it. And it's not, it can't come from a place of, oh, I'm just going to do it because other people are doing it, or this looks interesting. Because it's, there, there are going to be times where you really are tested. Is this the thing that that you're meant to be doing. So I'm wondering what that's for, what that is for you. For me, I've, I love it. Even the days where I think my writing is, I'm not, I'm dissatisfied with it. I truly do love my story. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that my story is making room for people like me in the fantasy genre, but also bringing all the people I love and care about into the fantasy genre so it just excites me to sit down and write it. It also excites me to speak about some things I've went through, to speak about some things that I've had shared with me and just create a story that's very raw and talks about those hard subjects and allows you to see that, yes, these things happen, but it doesn't make you any less of a person and you can still be the hero, even if you've gone through these things. So for me, that's my motivation behind it. And just as cliche as it sounds, I just truly love it. I absolutely, when I'm having a very tough day, I will turn to my writing. It's kind of a companion piece. (laughs) I can't think of the exact term for it right now, but it's just, it brings me joy. Mm. And even as hard as it is, even as rejection happens, I just continue to push through because I love it so much. And it's, I can't see myself doing anything else. Boom. (laughs) Such a solid way to end end the episode. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for recording with me. So many, you know, important things came out of this conversation. And for the audience, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Power of Why. We'll catch you in the next one. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please drop us a review on iTunes with a brief note about your thoughts of the show. We publish new episodes of the podcast every single week. Until then, thank you so much for listening.